0: When it comes to investing, retirement and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your
1: Wealth, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian?
2: Doing great. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Always glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Another fine show lined up for us here on Growing Your Wealth. Once again, if you miss any part of the program, you can always go to madronafinancial.com and hear our show in its entirety there, or we are a podcast, so simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans, and we've got more than a 100 shows there. I think we're up to about 106 right now, so a lot of good information there. Well, Brian, it is rare, but I have a chance to sit back and listen today because we have a special guest, don't we?
2: yeah we do uh, yeah recently we've been on on a tear just covering topics. I've got a hundred topics that I put out and we've been doing you may not know this you've been listening we've been doing a different topic every quarter hour and as I mentioned I've got a hundred of them so that's a lot of shows. But uh, every so often, we should take a break from that. We're going to do that today, but we're going to get really good information, a deep dive on some topics I think uh, people find very interesting. We have a special guest, Paul Grant. He's an attorney, uh, the owner of Planning with Purpose. And so estate planning attorney, that's, you know, as I get on the show, I, we can give a lot of advice in a lot of different areas, but there are certain areas we don't do. We are not realtors. We can't list your property. We're not bankers and we're not attorneys. We can't give legal advice and draft documents and do all that, that important stuff. So that's why I'm excited to bring Paul on the show today to talk about a lot of the, I'll call it the frequently asked questions of estate planning attorneys. And then, you know, just kind of have a conversation about that kind of stuff. I think people find very, interesting.
1: All right, Brian. So let's welcome Paul to our show today.
2: Well, thank you for joining me, Paul. I think I want to start out by just uh, giving you some time to tell us a little bit more about yourself, about uh, your practice, kind of what you do, and I, I'm especially curious about your own radio show.
3: Yeah, well, thank you for having me here today. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you and with your radio listening audience, so thank you for that. As you've said, I'm an estate and tax attorney. I specialize or focus on estate planning in general, and my office is up in Lynn. Would. I've been practicing law for about 12 years. I have a, a little bit of an interesting story, so I think, which is I worked for UPS for 12 years. I'm not a very big guy, so it beat the heck out of me. And I decided I cannot do this for the rest of my life. I need something different. My wife and I opened up A cleaning company. We went into homes and cleaned homes. We went into office buildings and cleaned offices. And that grew very quickly. I was simultaneously flipping homes and ended up being around a lot of contracts. And so as I looked into contracts, I said, this is really interesting. I really like reading entire contracts. I know that's very, very strange, but that's just how it worked. And I decided to go over to Edmonds Community College, take a basic law 100 class. And I got a couple classes into that, went home to my wife and said, I think we might be in trouble. So uh, at the age of 36, I went back to school, ended up finishing my four-year degree. And at the age of 38, I moved my wife and two daughters who were seven and eight at the time over to Michigan so I could go to law school. And I started practicing law at the age of 41, been doing it now for, gosh, I, if everyone's doing math, I'll give away my age. But that's OK. I've been doing it for now for 13 years. So uh, it, it's been quite a ride. I started my practice here in the Pacific Northwest about 11 years ago, and it's been growing and been helping a lot of families doing really good estate planning. I have enjoyed the ride a lot. So there's a little bit about me and where I've come from, what a little bit of my story. And so, yeah, we focus on estate planning and helping people create plans that will transfer wealth and the vision that they see it.
2: Well, that's that's kind of interesting. I know everybody that listens to my show knows my my story about growing up farming. Uh, you did the house cleaning and, yes. and UPS stuff, so both of us kind of got to a point where we're like, is this what we want to do with the rest of our lives? I am a big guy and I could do farming, but again, that was not my favorite thing to do in the world. And I'm not sure which one of us is nerdier. You like reading contracts, and I could do Excel spreadsheets all day long. Yeah, just yeah. be happy. So
3: it's we're, a great partnership. Yeah, isn't I yeah. think we're a good,
2: good pair here. <laughs> So hopefully we'll have some fun today. Also, I wanted to hear a little bit about your your own radio show. Yeah,
3: I have a radio show. It's on KCIS, and it's called the Legacy and Faith Show. Not a whole lot of people know this, but I am a licensed minister as well. I know that's a completely odd combination to be a licensed minister plus an attorney. So figure that one out. And so I have a. It's called Legacy and Faith Show. I have about 150 program. So I'm, I'm I'm on your heels. So I haven't quite gotten to the number you have, but plugging away at that. And that's over um, on Wednesday afternoons and sad, then it repeats on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock.
2: Well, I have been doing this a lot longer than you, that's for sure. But uh, that's okay. You've been doing it plenty long enough and uh, that's a lot of shows. Uh, this is not easy to do. A lot of people cannot do a radio show, and to do over a hundred is is quite something. We were talking before we got on here. I one of the the stories I have about estate planning, I remember this. Fella came in and he was telling. You know, I asked him if if he had a will, and he he pulled it out and it kind of looked like the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. It was so old, yellow, brown, and crinkly, and all of that. And I said, um, "Well, if something happens to you, who's going to take care of your spouse?" Because she wasn't. She was not doing well. He says, "Oh, uh, yeah, my my older brother's a trustee." And I said, "Well, how old are you again?" He says, "Oh, 83. I said, "Well, how old your brother?" He eighty seven. So, how's your brother doing? Oh, not good. He's got dementia. I said, well, okay, uh, if he can't take care of your wife, if something happens to you, then what? Oh, then it goes to my nephew. Do you have a good relationship? No, I can't stand the kid, but he's the only, he's the only (laughs) heir I have. I said, okay, well, let's run the scenario. If something happens to you and your wife's gonna go into a home and your nephew's in charge and he gets all the money that's not spent on her, Hmm, I wonder if her care is going to be, you know, in a grocery cart in the back of a Rite Aid, you know, and maybe we should update that. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So that, that was an extreme example, but, uh, we do ask a question on our questionnaires. Uh, we'll have people fill them out uh, to do a financial plan. And I would say approximately half the time when we ask, do you have an updated will or living trust? The answer is no, about yep. half the time. And so, and I use the word "updated" because of the crinkly declaration of independence looking wills that don't have your kids there or you're, you're unmarried or just got married or whatever, and you've got kids and grandkids now and and a complex thing and back when it was written, uh, you didn't have any of that, so that's why I add the word updated so that's kind of my experience uh Paul, tell me about your experience of people and and getting started in the process because it is it is overwhelming, and nobody wants to talk about. Dying anyway, so throw that in the mix. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. What people don't want to talk about: dying and
3: being incapacitated. Oh, I yeah. talk about it every day. It Surprising. thrills me. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, your situation, your story is very similar to what I see as well. As a matter of fact. We track how old documents are when they come into our office. And the average will, when people come to the office, is right around 20 years old. So that means that there's 20 years of family changes, financial changes, legal, tax, um, and the legal industry as a whole. That's a long time between the last time someone really thought and sat down with an attorney to do their estate plan compared to when they're getting into me. Now, if you have a revocable living trust, because really there's only two instruments that we can use as estate planners. It doesn't get any more complicated than this. We can use a will or we can use a trust. So on a high level, simplicity level, those are the two instruments of choice. But if someone has a trust, Brian, that actually is updated a little bit sooner which is approximately 10 years. But even in the trust world, there are a lot of adjustments. There are a lot of things going on. And intuitively, people already know this. Intuitively, your listeners know that Congress is always playing with the tax structure. Their taxes are always a moving target. And this year alone, there were seven different major changes most of them being in Washington state, that I am following that directly influence estate planning. So if that's true, then a t- even a 10-year-old document has worn down in, in in
2: its efficiency and effectiveness to
3: meet the challenge, should you become disabled or pass away?
2: Yeah, and that that brings up a, a question I have. That, I mean, the, the question I get probably the most is, should I do a will or a living trust? So maybe we can go into everything has pros and cons as we Absolutely. talk about on this show all the time. Every investment, cash can be a good investment if you want liquidity and you don't want to lose any. It's a lousy investment for long term, you know, retirement planning probably. So, everything has pros and cons. So, I want to let's just start break it down. Let's start with a will. Let's talk about what it is. What are some of the pros and what are some of the cons? Yeah, great. So, a will is going to do four major things for
3: an individual. Number one is that it's going to name guardianship. So, if you have minor children or if you have your kids are having children now, you have grandkids, so it's going to name guardianships. Number two is that it's going to tell us who your personal representative is. Another term for that is called an executor, right? But in Washington state, we use the term personal representative. In other words, that's the person who's going to be authorized, legally able to sign your name to move your property should you die. So, you get to your voice in a personal representative who closes your estate. Then it's going to give court instructions, so the attorney has to do their job and make sure that it's legally sufficient to uphold court scrutiny, so that it's valid. And the last thing it will do is it'll tell you where your money goes. That's kind of what we think of estate planning is, I'm dead, my money goes someplace. So a will does those four major things. It does guardianships, personal representative, court instructions, and it names your beneficiaries. So that's all good. As a matter of fact, getting somebody's voice over those issues Is very important. I get a question all the time Well, is having something better than nothing? Yes. Having something is always better than nothing because if you have nothing, because that is your third estate planning option, do nothing. Remain in immobile state. So if you do nothing, then Washington State in their infinite wisdom has determined what is in you and your family's best interest. So it doesn't mean that Washington State gets everything. That is a misnomer. That is not true. What it means is that they have determined who gets what and what the process is going to follow. And you've lost your voice over naming specific individuals to manage the estate, who is going to control your property, and you may actually lose control over who gets your stuff. Because if you don't want your children to have it, or if you're in a blended family, so you're in a second marriage and you have his and her kids, you may want to support your spouse, but the law does not say that that is exactly what happens should you not use your voice and have some type of planning. So using a will, a great advantage is that you have named exactly these four major items, and that's a good thing. That is better than having nothing at all. So a will does a couple of great things, but however, when we balance that to a trust, we may see a few insufficiencies in a will model versus what a trust
2: can do, but we're probably running
3: up against a break, so...
2: Yeah, we are. I'm, I'm just getting into this. So, so I'm, when, when we come back after the break, I do want to find out some of the detriments to just having a will. But I'm also going to want to talk about what is the hierarchy of assets if you don't have a will? Where do those assets go? What does the state of Washington in its infinite wisdom think about uh, where that should go? So we'll, we'll get to all of that when we come back from the break. This is Brian Evans from Madrona Financial, and I'm here to tell you that issues with your estate could be a major headache, but can be easily avoided. Call us for a retirement readiness review at 844-MADRONA, and we'll discuss your current estate plan. The last thing that you want is your estate to go to the government, a trustee, or to people you don't even know. What about the stress of being executor when you don't know what was desired or where assets are? And in the end, there may not be a whole lot left over, and there's a good chance that it will cause bad blood among your family. What would happen to your assets if your spouse remarries after you pass? What about your kids, their spouses, and your grandkids? You've earned it, saved it, and now it's time to protect it. And we'll make it easy to give you the guidance you need. Call Madrona Financial today for a free retirement readiness and estate plan review. Our number is 844-MADRONA, that's 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A, or visit us online at madronafinancial.com. That's
0: madronafinancial.com. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian
2: Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And today we're talking estate planning with Paul Grant with Planning with Purpose, his company, and getting into a lot of interesting questions. I'm looking forward to another segment here. Before the break, we were talking about some of the advantages of a will, but I interjected a question that I've always wondered about because I've had people ask me and I couldn't answer it. I said, well, what if I die without a will? Where do my assets go? I frankly don't know. So Paul, could you enlighten us a bit on that?
3: Yeah. And of course, the standard attorney answer is it depends. Yeah, everything depends. So, everything <laughs> depends. And so there are so many spider webs with a question like this, but I'm going to give a high-level general discussion. And by the way, anything that we're talking about today, please don't take as legal advice. Please come and see me, see an attorney that you trust and get specific information for your family and for what your needs are. So that was a nice disclaimer in the middle, right? I like Uh, that. Okay, great. So I said that Washington State does not get all of your assets. Now, they are the final beneficiary. If we can't find heirs along down the line, then the state will step in and make a claim. But that is a rare instance. So typically what's going to happen is that if you are married, and if you have been married with the same kid. So specifically a first marriage. Then there is a presumption that says your community spouse, because we live in a community property state, we do not live in a separate property. So common law um, is not what we go by. We go by community property rules that the spouse, a surviving spouse has first claim upon all property. So number one, Are you married? Number two, do you have kids? So what does your bloodline look like? So the law would then naturally follow descendants downward to find children, to find grandchildren. Now, if you've never had children, then what the law presumes is that we're going to go all the way back up to your grandparents, And we're going to find the closest living relative as we move down the chain from grandparents. And we're going to use their lineage to determine a spider web of where things go. And as soon as we can find a level where people are. So grandparents are gone. Your parents may be gone. So they're not going to be takers. If you have a parent alive, no children, no spouse, then then your parent is going to take. Do you have siblings? If no, then do you have cousins? And we're just going to keep marching right down the bloodline to try to find the closest relative that we can. And they're going to get a check. So that's the thing that I always have concerns with utilizing a will, which is, are your beneficiaries the right beneficiaries just to simply receive a lump sum amount of money? And are you ready to put a check in their hand? So a will, utilizing a will is very similar to a beneficiary designation or a transfer on death designation. When you Enter into a contract. So, Brian, people come and they trust you and they utilize your services. You have a contract behind that in order to invest their monies. And that contract then is with a specific financial institution that if you die in that contract, it says, if you have named a beneficiary, we are under contract to follow your instructions when it's done according to the way that we want it. So what does that mean? It means that that's a probate runaround. So maybe we can get to probate next here as we talk about, because that's where wills lead. But ultimately, a beneficiary designation means that someone gets money. That's all it can do. It can direct money. And that's in the simplicity of a will. That's all a will can do as well, is that it gets it to the right person. But all it can do is write a check to that person. So wills are great to make sure that your voice is heard so that we don't go defaulting back to statutory provisions. However, when you use your voice, is there more that you would like to accomplish with your estate plan other than just getting money to somebody so that they can spend it? Because, well, over 80% are just going to spend it and another 10% are going to do okay with it and then another 10% are going to do very well with their inheritance. So statistics tell me that when you write a check to somebody, they say thank you and they enjoy it to the fullest extent possible. So there's a little bit about the back side of a, of, a, of a will, which is it does a couple things really great. I typically have concerns of whether or not that matches the picture that someone walks into the office with me and says, yep, I'm good just to give my kids the money.
2: Yeah, that's all very interesting. I remember going to some seminars in the past. So talking about money that's inherited and and how much does that last? And and I think the statistic that they were throwing at me was uh, a twenty million dollar estate. The average twenty million dollar estate, it was. I think it was single digits that it would last two generations. Any of that money? I mean, it was just phenomenally terrible. Money goes away, and and we all know that people that come into money that didn't earn it often struggle with that. That is not, you know, for many reasons we won't get into on the show here, but for many reasons, people that did not earn the money often have a difficulty, you know, protecting that and taking care of that and having it grow and, and go to the next generation. So if that's something you want, it sounds like the will may not do that. I, I don't know if there's any other detriments to will that you want to cover before we go into the living trust.
3: Well, So two other things is that a will cannot do any tax planning for you. Now, there is an antiquated instrument that many traditional estate planners use. So I don't use that save one issue, which is required by law, which is when you start doing Medicaid planning. So that aside, many... Attorneys still use an old template model and it's called a testamentary trust. So what that is, it's a it's a will, but then they're trying to take a trust model and they're trying to squish them together to do the same thing simultaneously. And in my experience, while the legalities inside that instrument would potentially be accurate, the practicality and the usability and having the estate set up so that it can actually get to the will, that's where it fails. So, Brian, let me ask you a question. So, if a, married, a typical married couple comes into your office and they have a bank account, an investment account, and they have a house. So, let's just say they have three simple assets for, for the storyline. How do they typically own those three assets in your experience? What do you see? Do they own them individually or do they own them jointly?
2: Oh, they own them jointly. And we're in a community property state. And so uh, they each own half of each other's assets, essentially.
3: Yeah. So in a joint environment, if someone dies... It's kind of like the last man standing, which is the joint owner then takes over that account. So why does a house, if you have a joint owner on it, why does it not need to go through the probate process? Because there's a surviving joint owner. And most married couples own things with right of survivorship, even on title. So that means it's automatically going to go to the surviving spouse. Now, here's a practical question, which is if the surviving spouse automatically by law owns that property, what goes to the will? How does something get to the will? And the answer is, it doesn't. So how do we get to the tax provisions that are tucked inside of a will if it automatically by law goes to a surviving spouse because you own it jointly? So this is the fallacy that I've seen over and over with a testamentary trust. That's where you take a will, you own everything in your name still because ownership hasn't transferred. You own it in your name and jointly. When one spouse dies, the surviving spouse owns it all immediately at the time and the date of death. There's nothing to get to the tax provisions that the attorney was trying to protect the estate with. So, for me, a will in its simplicity says I'm writing a check and there's no tax provisions that can protect the family. There's no estate tax provisions. There's no income tax provisions. There's nothing a will can do because we're writing a check and we're just making sure the money moves. So tax provisions are unfortunately not addressed in a simplicity of a will. The other thing is that a will marches people down the road towards probate. Now, How many people in our listening audience would really like to avoid the probate process? And we can do that. And actually, in all fairness, we can actually do that and still use a will. But it's very, very difficult to maintain and most of the time it doesn't work. So you could come into my office and I'll set you up with a will package and we'll do everything to try to avoid probate. But without a relationship with you, without the ability to check in on how things are being managed and how things are still aligned in your estate plan, most of the time clients will move an asset away from the original plan, not intentionally. It's just because that's how they're used to managing their assets. Or they go to a different bank and they forget to align things back to how the plan was or they don't call us. So yes, we could set up a non-probate way to utilize a will package. But most of the time, that's really not a possibility. So most wills are going to start marching towards a probate process and that may not sit well with some individuals.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things about living trusts that I've noticed over all the years. I'll I'll ask my client, well, what do you have? And, well I have a living trust and well and they brought it in. It's a great big you know notebook full oh, of yes. lots of paper. Big binder <laughs> big binder. And we like paper. Yes. And I say, well have you ever opened that? And they said, No. I said, well the first few pages I think have some instructions. And so when you mention the the relationship and, and checking in, that is so critical. I don't I don't know that I have hardly ever seen somebody with a living trust that actually was following the instructions correct they didn't retitle the assets so guess what that's a bunch of paper it's a paperweight because you didn't retitle your assets so now we got a problem you're going to go through probate anyway because you didn't take care of the instructions that were in that and they're like, what i had to do stuff yeah you did and so that i think that's so important uh, what you just said about following up that this has to be customized to you. And as you know, and I know because I'm looking at their accounts and I go, well, there's no living trust in these accounts right. or how it's held and all that stuff. I already know we got a bit of a quandary here. We, we got some work to do and wood to chop there. So certainly that follow up is just as, as important and probably even more important than, than the initial documents. So I know I'm running up on another break here. So we'll, when we come back, I do want to get into the living trust and, and so forth. And then uh, talk about some of the other uh, frequently asked questions related to that that. But I want to put the topic at rest here between the will and the living trust when we return. If you could retire sooner, wouldn't you? Why not spend time doing the things you love with the people you love? Hi, I'm Brian Evans, founder of Madrona Financial Services, here to share some new tools to help you retire sooner. At Madrona Financial Services, our team is dedicated to helping you retire successfully while maintaining your current lifestyle. To help you get started, download a free copy of our newest book, Inside Retirement Investing, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, at madronafinancial.com or by calling 844-MADRONA. It will only take a minute or two to get your free books, but the information could change your life forever. Our Inside Retirement Investing eBooks cover everything from the basics of retirement planning to investing to taxes and so much more. They're designed to help you retire successfully and on your terms. Call us today at 844-MADRONA and get your free copy of the Inside Retirement Investing e-books. That's 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A or visit us online at madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial
2: Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about wills, living trusts, and other estate planning opportunities with Paul Grant, owner of Planning with Purpose. So, Paul, we were just talking about uh, the living trust, and, and I think you had a few more uh, comments about that.
3: Well, so as it relates to a will before we move into a revocable living trust, One of the most common questions that I encounter, one of the philosophies that people have is I really don't want to go down the probate process. So let me give you just a brief insight. It's going to be a quick hit here, which is the probate process is that if I die, this is going to be a huge revelation to your listeners, Brian. So be ready for this one. I can no longer sign my name. Mm, So this becomes a difficult task for me if I die. So therefore, if I own property, so let's say I own a home and My wife has passed away. So we had joint ownership like we were talking about earlier. So now the house is fully mine. Now I pass away. Now I have a problem, which is nobody can sign my name. In order to move title on an asset, if it doesn't have a beneficiary designation and there's not joint ownership, My signature is required, but now I'm gone. So the probate process is designed that my original will is taken to the court, and the court wants to authenticate that, indeed, this is original. Yes, it met all the attestation requirements. It met all the legal necessities. The list goes on. And the person who comes to the court, they're the right person to empower because that was my personal representative. So now the court says, okay, I'll give you the authority of Paul so that you can clean up his stuff. And you have a duty to multiple people, which is you have a duty to his creditors. So don't forget his creditors and you have a duty to his beneficiaries. So it's not just getting money to beneficiaries, it's also that there is work to be done when somebody passes away and someone has to be legally authorized to conduct that business. Banks oftentimes have people come in with a power of attorney and the person died. That doesn't work. A power of attorney ends immediately at death. And so you need court documentation that says you are empowered to represent the decedent. Now with representation, the personal representative is legally authorized to deal with the property that I've left behind in my name. So that is the court process. It can minimally take six months. As a matter of fact, I like to think I know what I'm doing and I can't close a probate faster than six months. And I've had them open for longer than two years. Now, some of them are fantastic cases, but If you have businesses, if you have policies or assets that are harder to find and capture, or if you have multiple accounts all over the place and you have not done a good job consolidating, then that is going to be a much more difficult estate to close. And it is just simply going to take more time. And by the way, if an attorney says it takes more time, what does that also imply? Uh, Let me think. Time is... Money. How about that? So now it costs more money. So if you want to inherit me as another child, I'm happy to oblige. What you can do is do no estate planning or not design your estate with efficiency and effectiveness and not have something that is really going to work. Or like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, have a plan that's 10, 15, 20 years old. The only winner in that is the attorney. So thank you so much for supporting my industry. Um, but there is a better way. We can actually create a plan that matches your vision, that matches your goals, your desires for your family. And by the way, ensure that you are well protected during your lifetime. But it takes motion. If you don't take your first step, if you get immobilized because you don't like the topic or um, I don't want to think about this or I have to make decisions, whatever the excuse is, procrastination is just one of the biggest excuses when we deal with estate planning. Put yourself in motion, please. Get connected with a good estate planner. Get connected with somebody who focuses on this and this alone and isn't doing divorces and car accidents on the side. So find someone that you can trust. Let's get this thing going down the road because we don't want to inherit an estate planner as another child. Let's make sure it's effective. That'll clean up and save money in the long term, even though, yes, I'm going to charge you now. It is more cost effective by doing the planning and doing it well out of the gate. So we can avoid probate because that is a high value of many people. Yes, we can put together plans that ensure that we can avoid probate for you and your family.
2: Well, that's that's good advice, sir, Uh, just planning ahead. Obviously, this show is about your financial planning. And I say over and over, just do it. Just start it. When's the best day to start? Well, today would be a really good day. Yesterday would be better, but (laughs) we don't have a time machine. But, uh, yeah, just start it. I do have a you know list of questions that people ask me, and just kind of your your quick take on each one of these yeah. uh, one of the things I hear is I can do a, an online will uh, they 're inexpensive i 'm a pretty smart guy or gal is is that good enough well, I go back to one of
3: my earlier comments, which is that better than nothing? Okay, maybe. Uh, it depends on whether it was done accurately. But here's the concern with anything that we do, a do-it-yourself model, which is, do you have the expertise and experience to make sure that the question you see in front of you is actually being answered in the proper way? Have you given full thought? And have you thought through the scenarios that happen after that question that an online system just simply doesn't ask? So is it better to have some documentation? than having nothing. Yes, you get to use your voice to name who closes your estate and who your beneficiaries are. That is better than absolutely nothing. But what I've seen is that many online wills that are, they're just printed, they're not signed properly. And so they actually don't follow the legal protocols to make it past court scrutiny. So that could create a difficulty where a court is saying, I wish I could honor this, but I really am not allowed to. And so it's better to obviously have somebody to guide you through that process. Make sure you're not missing
2: stuff. Thank you. Uh, another question that comes up. Uh, clearly, if someone comes to me and they've got $5 million, they know they need an estate plan. But what if they have a house and $500,000 uh, of investments? Do, do they need an estate plan? Yeah, great question. And I, and I do get this quite often, which is I don't
3: have much. Uh, I was, in a shopping line one day and the guy in front of me was talkative. And so that's great. I like talking as you can tell. And so uh, he turned around and says, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an estate planner. And he goes, well, if I had an estate, I would use you. And my thought process is you are your greatest asset, not your bank account, not your house, And estate planning, good estate planning ensures that you are going to be well protected during your lifetime. This is not about dying. This is about living. And you may experience a time in your life when you are compromised and you're not able to manage your assets. You're not able to make the decisions that you do today. At that point in time, my job, my first job with any client that I take on is that I need to protect you first then I can deal with your money, then I can deal with your kids. But you are my top priority. So the fallacy of equating estate planning to money is that you forgot your, that you are your greatest asset and we have to first ensure that you are going to be well taken care of with what you do have. As a matter of fact, I would even propose if you don't have a lot, estate planning is actually more important because if we get the wrong person over your assets or we can't get to your assets in an efficient way, how are we going to manage your finances should you experience a health emergency? Now, Brian, you probably know these stats as well, which is if you're 65 years or older, you have an 80% chance from that point forward of having some type of catastrophic health issue that will make you disabled. And so we need to be prepared to ensure your safety, that your finances are being used in a way to support you and in a way that you want so that other people's ideas don't come in and start mixing and throwing your investments off, throwing um, what your plan of attack was financially off, or using your money in a way that was not in your best interest. So estate planning, is as much about protecting you during your lifetime as it is about dying. So let's not miss that first thing first, we got to get you a financial power of attorney, medical power of attorney, mental health power of attorney, HIPAA, end of life document known as a living will. These documents are essential and a part of any package that we put together at Planning with Purpose. So we got to protect you. It's not all about money, but... It is about estate planning. So everybody needs an estate plan. If your kids are in their 20s, they need an estate plan. You certainly need an estate plan. So, again, let's move this thing forward.
2: Well, that's interesting. You brought that up because my next question was going to be at what age does someone need an estate plan?
3: Yeah. And at what age can somebody experience a health issue that they need somebody to legally step in? You know, it's heartbreaking 20-year-old, I've got two daughters who are, in, who are in their 20s. And so I watch a lot of their friends and and um, I I I read these types of things that are just so heartbreaking, which is that this age group is suffering from anxiety and suicide rates are at an all-time high in this age group. There are um, health issues that they are experiencing that when I was their age, I never went through at all. And so if we want to ensure the protection of our own children, then we need to make sure that they're doing estate planning and taking their rightful steps. Because, again, it's not about whether they have money. It's about protecting them in a health incident and making sure that we can help them in the proper ways. I would not want one of my children to go through a health incident and have a doctor look at me and go, I'll, I can listen to your voice as long as you are in agreement With the plan of attack for your daughter's health. But Paul, if you determine that there is a different course of action that you want me to take for your daughter, then I need to see legal authority that you can make that decision. And that's not where we want to be. So every individual who is a quote unquote adult needs to do estate planning because that is your protection
2: should you need it. That's an interesting comment there. Uh, it's not just, uh, physical. It can be mental health. Uh, Very much issues. so. Yeah. Especially with that, that group. It, it's funny. You know, the more I, uh, I'm listening to you, the more I realize maybe I wouldn't even know all the questions that need to be answered. And, you know, I'm supposed to know a lot of them, but I'm not an estate planning attorney, as I mentioned. A lot of what we work on here at Madrona Financial certainly ties in great with what you do because we're also trying to plan for what the what ifs more on a dollars and sense basis. So more on the investment side of thing. Do you have long-term care? Do you have life insurance? Is your income sufficient in case something happens to you? Will it be sufficient for your spouse? Are you taking advantage of income tax, marginal rates, Roth conversions, step up in basis? You know, all these different questions that arise, estate planning, uh, credit shelter uh, exemptions, all that kind of stuff. So that it all plays in together to make sure that your finances and everything uh, are going to hold up the way you want them in many different scenarios. So really interesting. And we're up against another break. I was just getting into this. So uh, looking forward to coming back and, and we'll, we'll conclude some of these frequently asked questions that. I have for you, Paul. Thank you.
1: So you want to learn more about planning for retirement, but weeding through all the available information can be daunting and confusing. So what do you do? You go to MadronaFinancial.com and download your free copy of Brian Evans' recently published book series, Inside Retirement Investing. This complete guide to retirement planning covers everything from investing to taxes and so much more. Get on the path to achieving your retirement goals and get your free copy of the Inside Retirement Investing series by calling 844-MADRONA or by visiting MadronaFinancial.com.
2: Hi, I'm Brian Evans, owner of Madrona Financial Services, and here is a conversation you might find yourself having with your stockbroker. So, Ed, I'm 60 years old. How
1: are you protecting my nest egg? I'm applying the rule of 100, so 60% of your investments are in bonds. Oh, what kind of bonds? Well, we use primarily intermediate term government bonds.
2: What's the yield on a five-year government bond these days? Oh, it's under 1.5%. So, Ed, how much do I pay you to manage my investments?
1: 1.5%.
2: Oh, so if interest rates stay flat, I'm only likely to lose a little money on a majority of my investments with you. That's right. Well, what if interest rates go up? Well, then you could lose a lot more money. So if this is a frustrating conversation you're having with your stockbroker, you owe it to yourself to schedule a free financial plan for Madrona Financial Services. Call 844-MADRONA, that's
0: 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A, or visit us online at madronafinancial.com.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And today my guest is Paul Grant, uh, attorney, the owner of Planning with Purpose. We're talking about all things estate planning that we can crush into one hour here. So without too much further ado, uh, Paul, can we maybe continue our discussion on uh, trusts and revocable living trusts?
3: Yeah. So we talked about a will, um, but we haven't really talked about a trust too much. So a revocable living trust, revocable means that you are, remain in full power and control. As a matter of fact, so much power and control, we still use your social security number on all assets, even though they are retitled. So if I have a trust, and let's say it's called the Grant Family Trust, then the title of my assets, my bank account, my house, my investments, there's only two assets we don't put into a trust. I'll get to those in a second. We transfer everything to say Grant Family Trust instead of Paul Mariana Grant. So we get away from joint and we put it into the name of the trust. That way, the instructions of the trust now attach to that asset. If we left it in our joint names or we didn't put something into the trust... That means that the instructions will not attach unless, again, we go back through the probate process and push it back over to the trust. So we want everything in a trust model to be in the name of the trust, so life insurance, business interests, whatever you have, real estate. Everything needs to be in the name of your revocable living trust. And as a matter of fact, Brian, that's you already mentioned it, and kudos to you because uh, most financial advisors see that there's a disconnect, but then don't do anything about it, which is what happens if you have a trust and it's still in your name? We got to get those assets transferred over. So there's two assets I mentioned. One are vehicles in Washington state because we have a non-probate way through DMV to transfer that if you have heirs, if you have children, okay, so if you are a single person, no children, or even if you're married, no children, then we would want to put that car into the name of the trust as well. The other asset is maybe one of your larger assets for many people, which is your IRA. That's a tax-deferred account. And the IRS, by IRS law, says it must remain in your personal name. However, what we're going to do is we're going to take the beneficiary designation. We're going to point it back to the trust where all the instructions are so that when you die, it still gets to the trust. Now, don't do that without your attorney reviewing your trust. And advising you that you have the right type of trust to actually receive a qualified account because not all trusts are created equally. And that's the problem with a discussion like this. I have a trust. That's good. Then I'll just do this. Remember, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. And this one specifically can cause really bad tax consequences if it's not done properly. So if your trust is not properly designed so that it can receive A qualified account, a tax deferred account, then we wouldn't want that IRA to be pointed towards the trust only when the trust is properly designed. So your IRAs must stay in your personal name. It doesn't destroy community property, but we just can't put it into the trust. So with a trust, then we've got all of your assets going around the same instructions, and because that's a contract, then we don't need to go through the probate process. So a revocable living trust can do multiple things. Number one, it can keep us out of probate. It's a private family closing event. You pass away, everything is in the trust. That's a key. Got to have it titled right. Then yes, there's an opportunity to avoid probate if that is a part of your goal. Number two, I can work in tax language into a revocable living trust. So now I can start supporting individuals and married couples with proper tax language. So now we have some taxability through a revocable living trust, which didn't exist with a will. In addition, we can make sure we get everything to your beneficiaries in a proper way. So what do I mean by that? I have two daughters. So what that means is that I am just a big sucker. So I have two girls. They, they say, oh, daddy, and Paul's heart they, gets pulled to them. All right. Now, how happy would I be? Imagine this scenario. I'm gone. I'm looking down from heaven, and my girls are married, and one of my no-good son-in-laws—by the way, they're, neither of them are married, so I can keep saying that—decides okay. that they're going to leave my daughter, and they're going to try to take some of what I have left my girls' That might be the signal for me to tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, send me back, please. Right now is a perfect time. Um, So what does it look like if one of your beneficiaries went through a divorce? Remember, a will, it can just write a check. Beneficiary designation, TOD, can just write a check. That means it's in their social security number. It's their asset. That may be subject to divorce proceedings. Now, there's presumptions in law that says, no, that's a protected entity. Well, it depends, remember, because I'm an attorney, depends on how they've used the money, whether they've used it to support the community, whether or not they've used that money to buy a joint home. And the list goes on to where they destroy the natural, the typical person destroys that presumptive protection of inherited property to be separate property. So therefore, most Inherited property is not still protected, so it could be subject to divorce proceedings. What if one of my daughters was driving and looking at her phone and runs into somebody? She's got a liability. Somebody's going to come attack her because she created harm. In a revocable living trust, it is my opinion that it is the strongest protection known in law. I can create an entity that when we pass it off and when it's administered properly, big key. When it's followed, remember you were talking, Brian, that people don't even look at the first instructions. They forget. So following the instructions of the trust, of a properly created trust, is imperative in this discussion. When they are followed, when it is done properly, this entity can protect your beneficiaries and protect them from what? From divorces, from catastrophic health issues, from creditors, from predators, people who are after money because they know they got inheritance So this can be a shield around your family. Does that sound attractive to you? And then also long term tax consequences, because if my estate deals with the estate tax properly, then I can leave things into a trust for my children and that will mitigate estate taxes generationally because I did proper planning. This is all about doing proper planning at your level to ensure that your money can be passed generationally. Would you like to be the patriarch financially of your family to set up generations of using money with wisdom and on purpose for what they are destined to do in their life? That is a high possibility, but we got to put this in motion. And for most people... They have more goals than just simply getting money to somebody. Because remember, that's what a will can do. It can name the the personal representative and it can write a check. If your vision of what you see in your brain says, okay, I'm going to pass away at some point in time and this is what I hope happens, I don't want to hope. I want to know. I want to develop a plan that is solid, that will continue to be updated through time to make sure that it is going to protect my family and that the taxing structure does not break down because why spend unnecessary money on taxes? Like I don't mind paying taxes, so so says the tax attorney. I don't mind paying taxes. That means I'm doing something okay, but I don't want to pay unnecessary taxes. An estate tax is an optional tax. You do not need to pay an estate tax, but you cannot get that benefit without proper planning. So if you don't want to waste unnecessary money, family money, then we got to start this process of marching towards the right solution. Look, I'm not telling everybody on today's show, you got to use a trust. Is it the tool? That I prefer to use. Well, you could probably hear some of the reasons that, yes, I prefer to use a trust because I can protect my clients better, they can protect their family, and I can set up tax structures for generations. That's very appealing to my brain. However, there are plenty of clients that need good estate planning that would fit nicely into a will package. So it's not about the tool. You don't hire a contractor and he comes in and says, I've got a hammer, show me what needs to be fixed. He looks at the project overall. You want to redo your kitchen. So he walks in and he looks at the kitchen and goes, Okay, this is what your vision is for your new kitchen. You're not sitting there asking him, How often are you going to use your hammer on this? How often are you going to use a screwdriver? Because if you don't use your screwdriver at least 25% of the time, you're not my right contractor. But yet, In estate planning, we get enamorated with what tool the estate planner is going to use. Don't do that. Come in and share your vision, share what you believe you want to have happen and allow me to do my job well, which is I'll select the right tool for you and we'll make sure that your family is going to be well taken care of on protections, making sure that the right people are going to be managing your money, making sure that the taxing structure is going to be upheld for generations. That's my viewpoint. So let's, again, let's move this straight forward. You can look up on Google, Planning with Purpose, Paul Grant, both of those things are going to take you to me. Would love to sit down with you and assist you and hear your story, hear your vision, and would love to help you.
2: I appreciate that. And, you know, before we got on the show today, we were talking about some of the tax planning aspects of maintaining step-up and basis with Delaware Statutory Trusts or doubling your Washington state exemption for estate taxes or using life insurance within an irrevocable life insurance trust or yep. tax-free and on and on and on. So it's not every estate attorney that's really good <laughs> at understanding all the taxes too. And and that's why I appreciated uh, talking to you, uh, you know, CPA advisor to a planning attorney about all these different areas, how they could tie in together. Really important for so many people that listen to this show. This is not a one-on-one class. It's an advanced uh, financial planning class. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on today, Paul. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, I appreciate we it. Yeah, covered a lot of good stuff there, really. Uh, that, that hour went as quick as any I can ever remember on this show. So thank you so much for that. So again, uh, yeah, if you have questions for Paul, uh, Paul Grant, Google him, you can, uh, Planning with Purpose. If you, you want to connect with, with both of us in some way in your account, of course, you can you can uh, get a hold of us here at Madrona Financial. With that, that's uh, wrap-up for our show today uh hopefully you learned a few things you didn't know before that's the purpose of the show
0: uh have a great weekend everyone won't you Diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. If the fuel gauge in your car was broken, would you know how far you could drive before running out of gas?
1: You know, not knowing how long your money will last in retirement is a lot like driving a car with a broken fuel gauge. You just don't know how far you can go. At Madrona Financial Services, we want you to know that there's no need to live with the stress of uncertainty. At Madrona Financial, we have insurance-based solutions that can guarantee lifetime income, protect you from market losses, and even provide for your loved ones. And as a CPA and personal financial specialist, we scrutinize every product we offer. If you want to learn how to create a secure lifetime income stream, protect your money from market losses, provide for your loved ones and potentially reduce your tax burden, schedule your complimentary meeting today. Call 844-MADRONA or visit us at madronafinancial.com. We'll arrange a meeting at one of our three convenient locations or conduct a virtual meeting if that works better for you. Take control of your financial future.
0: Call 844-MADRONA or visit us online at madronafinancial.com. If you're aged 59 and a half or older with a 401k plan and still working, stop what you're doing and call Madrona Financial Services at 1 844 Madrona. There are benefits with age, and this is one of them. At 59 and a half, you're entitled to new opportunities in the investment world that can save you thousands in 401k fees and dramatically reduce your risk of a market correction. Call the team at Madrona Financial Services today for a free financial review at 1 844 Madrona. That's 1 844 Madrona. Or visit MadronaFinancial.com.